Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello, listeners. Tim Sylvie here. Today, I'm delighted to say that I'm back with the dog-loving designer, photographer, podcaster, influencer, content creator, and YouTube giant, an all-round good guy, Tom McCluskey. Tomo, how are you? photographer i like have you been following my instagram shenanigans because i was on holiday i was in marrakesh last week and it's very photogenic it make it, it made it easy for me to take lovely images then well really nice. do you know what i actually looked at your website which i've never looked at before um and it had it on there i was very impressed very impressed Thank I don't you, know how you have. Do you have? Do you have the time to do that though, professionally? Mm, is, no, that was that was in a past life. That made my because the camera I use for my videos is was my old photography camera that I used for e-commerce photography. So it kind of helped to have a nice camera for that. So it used to pay yeah. the bills, then it didn't, and now it kind of is again. So gone oh, full circle. Good. And um, you went to F1 Arcade, didn't you, to do a live show? How was that? It was very good. Have you been? By the way, no, not yet. I think I'm going to go next week on Wednesday. Ooh. Okay, yeah, no, it's um, ah, it's a really cool venue. Um, yeah, did a live show with Adas, went down really well. Everyone seemed happy. Um, yeah, it's very uh, very expensive behind the bar. So uh, I think there's mm. like the, the most expensive con- cocktail is about seventeen quid. So it's uh, but you can get you can get beer on tap, house wine for about six quid. So it's about London prices in that, but yeah. you can spend a lot of money if you want. Yeah, yeah, I think I'm going to go down there. I messaged Aldas the other day, actually, when I was looking for a co-host, because you couldn't do it, and Harry couldn't do it, and various other people couldn't do it, and he didn't bloody reply. Wow. Fooled. Ghosted (laughs) by Aldas. Um, Anyway, shall I introduce today's guest? Let's do it, buddy. So today, I'm delighted to say we're joined by Tom Gaymore, a man of many talents who started out behind the wheel before turning his attention to behind the camera. He's a broadcaster who's equally at home commentating on Formula One as he is IndyCar or interviewing the biggest names in our sport. If you work in the industry, you're well aware of Tom's influence. And if you're a fan, I've no doubt heard his dulcet tones coming through your telly box. If this is your first time hearing from Tom, sit back. And enjoy while we talk about his life, career, thoughts and opinions. Tom Gaymore, a very warm welcome to the Motormouth podcast. How are you? 
quite the welcome, Tim. Thank you very much. Yes, um, I'm intrigued to know more about Tomo's love for dogs because I went to Crufts last week for the first time in my life and it was uh, it was an interesting experience. I've never seen so many dogs. I've never seen so many dog lovers uh, in one building and it's big business, five halls as well. So if you've never been to Crufts, I suggest you go. Have you ever been? No, ne- never been. We co- never been. Oh, did did you commentate over the dogs then? Were they like racing and you were giving the old like, oh, through on the inside goes Bernard. <laughs> and we're off the assault course over the bridge. <laughs> the hurdles next. <laughs> you know what? So I've got a, I've got a sausage dog, like a Dachshund. And he's actually surprisingly like he could jump on the table from like the floor because he's got slightly longer legs. So I reckon he'd uh, I reckon he'd do well at Crufts. Uh, you've got a dog now, Tim, haven't you as well? Yes, yes, I do. Yeah. Pip, Pippin. She's she's actually ventured out today for the first time to meet her brother because her our friends have bought her brother. Um, so they met up and don't think they recognised each other because they fought. So that went well. <laughs> but um, but I've had her on the lead outside the house for the first time today. So we're getting into it. Dog ownership is good. Excellent. Tom, do you have a dog? I've not got a dog yet, but the the other half. Uh, my wife is very keen on on that dog, so um, I'm sure it's not long. You, yeah, you'll you'll uh, you'll break that down one day. I mean, I, I was I was the resistant parent, and then eventually the wife um, convinced me otherwise. And it looks like, from, based off your background, there's a lovely garden there for a dog there to run around. Where were you? Where are you joining us from today? So Tom? I am in the leafy suburbs of Southwest London. So if you know your history, Hampton Court Palace is a stone's throw away. Or if you're a sports fan, we've got Twickenham just uh, just to the east as well. So. I'm lucky to have this behind. This is a, a, a sort of, it's called the Beverly. And you might see squirrels. Squirrels actually do run across that. So if you do see a squirrel, yell. And um, and we'll all enjoy that. The, uh, the inner city wildlife. Do you have, uh, so where I live, we get a lot of black squirrels. What colour squirrels do you have? Yeah, well, there's a big debate, isn't it? Because you've got um, red squirrels, grey squirrels, that kind of stuff. But uh, do you know what? We're, we're more into our foxes. We have foxes that come every evening. So they, nice. um, they, they're, they're quite a popular guest and may or may not have some of the leftover dinner every evening. So that's a bit of a taboo. Do you feed foxes? Oh, yeah, that kind of thing. I don't know. You know, they're a big part. They're cute, though. I think they're pretty misunderstood creatures. They're quite... Your neighbour's happy. That's the key. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> wow. I mean, this this feels like it's going to be a really sort of weird podcast. I feel like this could go anywhere. I don't, I'm not quite sure what's going to happen. But let, let's take it away from foxes and squirrels and bring it back to you. So take us back to the start. Where, and, and, and we know each other, obviously. So um, we, I know a little bit. Of, well, I know I know a lot about you, but but I don't know where life began for yeah. uh, for a young Tom. So where, where was home? Where did you grow up? So born and bred Twickenham and went to school there. I sort of grew up in a sporting family my granddad was the uh rfu doctor for 50 years the england doctor chief medical delegate for the irb that kind of stuff so a bit like professor sid watkins was to motorsport he was to rugby so i kind of grew up around rugby got picked up from school went to watch england train ballboard at twickenham and had just the most wonderful experience around sport and rugby and my stepfather played cricket nothing in the way of motorsport entered my life in any way shape or form until I was about 10 or 11 and my granddad 
took me to a race team, Dave Price Racing, actually, which were based in Great Bookham. So my granddad and Dave Price were were very good friends. And that was that was the beginning of the end. So I spent all my young life from that moment trying to get into motorsport. And I always joke saying I spent my whole adulthood trying to get out of it. But, um, but here we are. And, yeah, that was my upbringing. I was very fortunate to go to boarding school off the back of that and pursued my cricket, played a lot of cricket when I was younger, but always harboured an ambition to be in a go-kart. And it was a difficult conversation because, as we know, sport is quite accessible depending on which sport, motorsport less so. More and more parents know how to get their young children, uh, sons, daughters into football, rugby, cricket, be it through the school or uh, the local teams at the weekends or evenings. But motorsport's a bit harder. And if you have no sort of natural connection with the sport, it can be quite difficult. So trying to convince my parents to take me go-karting was an interesting uh, discussion. It was an annual event surrounding my birthday, primarily. And then uh, as I clearly enjoyed it more and more, the, the the sort of push to go karting was was forever there, and it got a bit harder when I went to boarding school, and also played cricket as well because the school really wanted me to play cricket, didn't want me missing all weekend karting, and also the expense. You know, I did have a a very fortunate upbringing, but there's a fortunate upbringing, and there's the the, the sort of costs that come with motorsport and we didn't really quite have that uh those funds available so it wasn't until I entered La Filia, the competition the fast track competition at Silverstone that that I really did start to look at motorsport as a, as, a, as a viable option and start to make progress within the sport I never really did that sort of national two-stroke karting you know those big champions of the future competition super one that kind of thing I didn't do that I was four-stroke karting in uh, in and around in kart clubs and my local kart club here Sandown Park which incidentally Ollie Milroy Sandbird Duncan Tappy all sort of came through so there was a, a little gang of us in Surrey that pioneered that sort of four-stroke route Formula Six as it was known back then how do you um, how do you reflect on those like when you were a kid and you had those options of rugby, cricket, karting, and it's like I, I think back to when I was a kid and motorsport was always my thing. My parents, none of my friends were ever interested in that. Was but then like my dad always wanted me to be a footballer. My mum wanted me to do swimming and badminton, so I did all of those things. But it's like motorsport was always my my thing. How much of that early exposure to sport, like if you were an adult now, like if if you could go back and kind of decide on the things that were actually what you wanted to be doing versus more kind of what you were exposed to I guess yeah definitely I think in the school environment that I was in it was quite a competitive environment there was opportunity across the board whether or not it was music sport academia I was very fortunate in that sense I was definitely pushed down the academia line I did not enjoy spending time in the classroom, it's fair to say, but I absolutely loved being on the sports field. I loved all sports apart from football. If you pass me the ball, it'll go through my legs. So <laughs> don't, don't get me on a football pitch. Um, 
But rugby and cricket, I really enjoyed that. But it, it sounds one of those cliche moments. I loved rugby and cricket, but I didn't realise, I didn't know that there was motorsport there. You know, obviously I was aware of it, but, but that first moment that you're exposed to motorsport, if you're a fan, that the, the sound, the smell, the speed, just everything that goes with it, it, it was it was basically like a love affair. It was love at first sight that there was just no going back from that moment. So yeah, I still continue to, and I love my rugby and my cricket and I'm a big fan, but nothing, nothing competes with the thrill of motorsport for me. And, you know, I'm fortunate to be in and around the sport still, and I still get a real buzz from broadcasting because of the adrenaline buzz that comes around live broadcasting. And, you know, that is not quite the same as driving, but the, the thrill that I got every time I got in a race car was, was second to none. You know, it's a magical it's, it's It is funny how, the, how motorsport does that to people. It's, it, I think it's relatively unique. I know people can get an absolute, get fanatical about football and other sports, but there's something about Formula One and motorsport in general that really captivates people. And, and you, were, you were quite a handy driver by all accounts. Why did what stopped you pursuing that route? Apart, was it just the cash, or you you had an injury as well, right? So there there were probably multiple things. Yeah, there were multiple things. As I said, I you know we we sort of dabbled in the the karting world, but it wasn't until I had a fully funded seat in France to go and race in Formula Renault Campus that that my career started to to look like it, it, it was a viable option. Then I came back and raced for Miguel for Hayward, who uh, Anthony Davidson the year before, Jensen Button the year before that. So big French manufacturing Formula Ford. But Formula Ford was booming in the UK. You know, it was such a, a wonderful feeder series. And anybody who was anyone from international karting or wherever you were in the world, you came over to the UK and you did British Formula Ford and British Formula Three. And it was a, a wonderful few decades. And I was lucky to sort of, piggyback onto the final few years of that and then I had an undiagnosed spondylolisthesis that I had an accident and more and more people kept on going behind the screens when I was having the scans and to cut a long story short 20% of the world's population have a spondylolisthesis not all 20% will hair into brick walls or tire walls or whatever it is at a rate of not so where the bone hadn't formed properly in my lumbar spine it, it crumbled away and I didn't have that bony union. So I had to have quite major corrective surgery involving screws, hooks, this and that, bone grafts from my pelvis to, to firm my whole lumbar spine up. And it took so long to to get back fully fit. It, it, it wasn't really an option to go back driving. Obviously, I had that burning desire and it was the only thing that got me through the rehab was that dream and ambition but it really you know on reflection wasn't realistic and that was the the end of 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 my career really when it comes to driving but I was fortunate to to swap the steering wheel for a microphone and 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 here we are a few years later. How was that to kind of come to terms with because obviously to to say goodbye to that part of your life but then also to you know, had you resigned to being like, okay, motorsports finished completely, but then you've also picked up the microphone and gone into commentary. And now you're kind of, you've gone full circle and now you're back in the industry just in a very different capacity. Was that always part of the plan once you realized you couldn't 
carry on behind the wheel? I'd love to say I dealt with it in my stride with with uh, maturity and balance, but but that wasn't the case. It was uh, it was a difficult time for me. I was really emotional. Of course, I, I liken it to to a relationship where you're you're not ready and the the, the relationship comes to to an end, and it, it was really really difficult to to try and get my head around that I that was my identity that was my dream that was everything I've worked towards for so long for years and years and years it it was what I thought I was going to be doing and then to to lose that to see your friends still doing it the sort of the animosity the jealousy the frustration the why me that the the, just a whole host of emotions made it a, a really difficult sort of 12 months and I actually went and got a proper job at Getty Images for a bit and commuted into London every day up to Camden Town and realised that was far too much like hard work and that that I needed to uh, that I needed to sort of reframe what I'd left behind because what I'd left behind was was my friends was what I knew was a world that I loved and once I took that step back I, I've never looked back and you know I'm really fortunate to be doing what I'm doing and I always said that my dream was maybe to get to Formula One and and I've sort of done that it just wasn't with a steering wheel in my hands so yeah on reflection now with with uh, 41 years on uh, on my shoulders I, I can look back at it with with a smile. And you started a consultancy business back in 2011. And, and the premise behind that was to support racing drivers with performance management, mentoring, coaching, and so on. And this is probably where I first um, became aware of you. And you and I worked together um, on uh, some driver management um, years ago. We had uh, Tom and Max Chilton, uh, Ollie Webb, Stuart Moore, and importantly, Jamie Chadwick. And I'm really please that you're here so we can talk about Jamie Chadwick because I dine off Jamie, Ch- Jamie Chadwick and and the relationship that we had with her way back when and um it's sort of hazy now you sort of look back and think was did we did we do that did we work with her what and we were there at her transition from GT racing with Paul Hollywood through to trying to coach her through some of your knowledge into not being afraid in a single seater car and and I think you and I should take credit for launching Jamie Chadwick's career in a single seater car because it, 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 I mean, it's true. You, you were, were pivotal to that, that time in her career where it was like, right, do you stick in GTs and go down the endurance route or do we put you in a single seater and see if we can get you to formula one? Uh, how do you look back at that time? Yeah, it was a wonderful period in terms of exploring the management side of me was, was about humans was about putting people first it's not something that people do an awful lot, but people like to say they do. I'm fascinated in people. I'm fascinated in the, the human underneath the performer and, and, and doing it for the right reasons, not trying to earn money out of people, but actually having that sort of care and that responsibility and, and, and trying to get people to, to develop and flourish. And with Jamie, you had that really rough diamond in the sense that she was so so quick but she didn't really know what she knew and it was right at the beginning of what's been a really exciting journey for her and a journey that's still continuing and to be able to to sort of have those discussions and 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 to try and help her understand not just what she was doing in a race car but but who she was we're so uh 
you know, we're so fixated on the technical and tactical skill sets, the performer, but we, we rarely focus on the human element. And, and actually, in order for the performer to be able to, to be the best that they uh, want to be on the biggest days of their life and deliver on those tech and tax skills, they need to have a, a really good understanding of self and that sort of toolkit that goes with them in order to, to, to be able to, to, to deliver. And with Jamie, we, we were well on the way to sort of talking about that. And, you know, I hope she took some of it on board because her career has really been in the limelight. She's always the one that people look at. She's always under scrutiny. Every single session, every failure, every success is almost criticised. And so it's really difficult. And, you know, we do speak occasionally and I've sort of reconnected with her because she's out in the States at the moment and we're doing some Indie Next stuff on Sky Sports F1. It was lovely to speak to her uh, recently. But, you know, she, she has such a... A, a, a difficult time of it, I think. And one of, if you speak to athletes, whatever it is, whether or not it's Formula One or or competing at the top level in 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 rugby cricket or at the Olympics, one of the things that top athletes always say is, "I wish I'd enjoyed it a bit more." And it's actually something that sounds quite strange, but when you're under all the pressure and you're in the pressure cooker that Jamie's in, it's quite hard sometimes to actually sit back and enjoy it all. What do you, um, what, I guess both of you, as you've both worked with Jamie, what do you make of the, the kind of, well, and how much do you think it was a decision necessarily to go to the States and go to Indy next instead of Formula 3 and going through that more European pyramid? How much of that do you think was decision? Because obviously you need a lot of money to, I'm not sure how much you need to bring to the table in Indy next, but I know in F2 and F3, it's in the millions every year. So what do you make of, of that choice to kind of go down that route? And so we've seen a few F2 drivers obviously make the move, Callum Eilert, Christian Lungard, um, Marcus Armstrong, you know, they've, it seems like it's becoming a more common thing for European drivers to, to go to the States. Hmm. Yeah, I think so. There's a different sponsorship model uh, available to you if you're a competitor in the States. So for example, for Jamie, DHL, are already a partner within the Andretti stable. They're on the Grosjean car and they've been drawn back into Indy Next because Jamie is is uh, very marketable and that's a wonderful platform for, for both of them. I don't think you always get that platform in Formula 1. So you don't get partners from Formula 1 teams dropping down into Formula 2 and, and, and taking drivers forward like you did in the... Uh, 80s, 90s, for example, you know, you had Marlboro, you had, you know, loads of different brands that would drop down and and take drivers forward. You don't get that now. I still think there is that opportunity in America. Tim is actually the expert on the commercial side of things. So he he probably has a much more informed take on it than than I do. But but that's, you know, my uh, my snippet on it. Yeah, no, I agree. And, and I mean, the Americans are brilliant at sponsorship. Um, it, they, they often put us to shame. We, you know, you look at the amount of brands there are in NASCAR and IndyCar um, and big, big brands. Um, they really know how to how to leverage the, the assets and, and, and sweat the, um, the assets that they get. Um, and, and for Jamie, you know, fair play to it. I, I would love to know the, the backstory about the reasons for going to the States, you know, whether it is purely financial reasons, um, which I don't I don't know. I mean, I, we know her her parents um tom and they they do have 
they do have money. They don't have mega, mega money. So perhaps the, the F2, F3, um, you know, maybe it was out of reach. But I don't think it's a bad move for her. You know, she can go out there and hopefully she does well. She had a bit of bad luck in the first race, didn't she? It didn't go quite according to plan. But, you know, I, I hope things work out for her out there. And I hope she comes back to Europe and races at a high level here because, you know, she is the um, the standout performer in, in women's racing Um some would argue, not all, um, you know, there are others out there, um, but she's certainly the most marketable. So it'd be very interesting to follow what happens with her over the, the coming um, years, but um, and all the best to her. Um, now, Tom, you've, um, you, you've covered all sorts of, of motorsport series. You've done F1 TV, Sky Sports with IndyCar. Uh, do you have a favourite? Is there one that particularly stands out to you that you enjoy doing? I really enjoy the IndyCar and that's, something that I've been fortunate enough to to work on for years now, even when it was at BT and, and transitioned to, to Sky. The IndyCar for me is something I grew up watching. It's, uh, it, it's a wonderful championship that's very, very accessible and just caters for, for, for what I want out of sport, which is I, I love the personalities. You know, I, I, I'm, people first so you get to really see the personalities in IndyCar you don't get the same faces on the top step of the podium you know Will Power last year for example 17 races only won one race and won the championship you know so so it's a very very different um, vehicle in terms of the, the, the exposure that you get all the way through the grid. And I love the way the Americans activate their brands and the, the sort of show that they put around sport. Now, I know that's not for everyone, but I watch the Super Bowl. I love NFL. I, I love the American sport, and I think they do it so, so well. So what really gets the hair on the back of my neck tingling? IndyCar, because when you're when you're doing the broadcast, when you're building up to it, you, you have the invocation, you have the most famous words in motorsport, and you know everything that that happens before the races. I, I think is wonderful. And then in the race, it's impossible to pick. It's going to win. I mean, it yeah. is impossible. And I think <laughs> yeah. that's a wonderful. Well, well, I mean, look, look at the year that um, the, it was just after I stopped managing Max, and and he was what fourth with yeah, a few yeah. laps to go. I was like, oh, he's he's going to bloody win this. And he didn't, but he, he came incredibly yeah. close. And, you know, and, and, and let's be honest, Max was, you know, more often than not towards the middle or, or the back of the, 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 the grid. So like you say, you just never know, do you? It's far less predictable than, uh, than Formula I mean, One. The examples are just endless. Dan Weldon's last Indy 500 win when Hildebrand fenced it on turn four. You know, you look back at tech. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. 
For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. This is last year when McLaughlin led every lap basically and then Newgarden did him on the final corner and just crossed the line. You look at St. Pete just a couple of weeks ago where so many drivers had a turn of leading that race and couldn't win it. So... Yeah, I love IndyCar. I think it's awesome. I, I do wish I'd started watching it sooner because I've only started in the last kind of uh, couple of seasons. I'll try and watch the highlights where I can because I think there's some really exciting drivers. I think it's a championship that's really underrated in the... I know we've, we were talking earlier this year about the whole uh, super license points and Colton Herter mm. and it's like you look at the uh, the quality of driver on show at IndyCar and the fact that that's offered, you know, for some positions, less super license points for the same position in Formula 3 is pretty mad. Um, like, how have you seen IndyCar grow? Obviously, you said you've been watching it, you, you know, m- most of your life, especially, you know, in Europe, I feel like. Like, what are the numbers doing? Has it been a, you know, big increase in audience or is it kind of, and is it getting helped by, I guess, that drive to survive effect that I think is bringing a lot more people into the broader motorsport pool generally. Yeah, so our viewing figures for the 500 last year were more than Sky's viewing figures for the final day of the US Open Golf. So that gives you an indication as to to how much that audience is growing. We had more viewers last year than we've ever had. And some of the demographics, the the female audience, the younger audience, we we really grew that last year at, at Sky. And so... Sky really happy, IndyCar really happy. We have a wonderful relationship with NBC as well. And I think that the show is undeniable. It's starting to grow again. We know the politics behind the split. So I used to watch the cart days, you know, Dario and, and everyone fighting it out, Paul Tracy and and uh, what, and, and, and what wonderful days they were with, with Zanardi and Damata and, 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 and so forth. But the the fallout then the IRL split and everything that happened it, it was a difficult few decades but if you look at what Penske's done over the last few years how much they're investing in the marketing budget this year the fact that Formula One is growing like you said in the states what Formula One has done in the states off the back of Drive to Survive is actually only serving to boost IndyCar as well it's not it's not a, a it's not in competition. Formula One is there just a couple of times a year. And, and what that does is engage that young audience to formula racing. And then they go and find their own uh, substitute that they can support and, 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 and focus on all year round. And, and that's IndyCar. So it, it, it's a wonderful success, the, the Formula One story in, in America. And, and, and that's boosting it. And, and I honestly believe with Roger Penske now, at the helm and that Penske Corporation with what they're doing, it's uh, it's really starting to to grow. Yeah, Penske is, is beast of uh, an organisation, isn't it? And, it? and not just IndyCar, but, you know, you look at IMSA and stuff like that, which they're involved with. So really starting to do um, some great things out there. Now, um, let's turn our attention to Formula One. Um, it's an interesting era at the moment. There's a lot of um, there's a lot of rumours going around about lots of different things. What's the future for Lewis Hamilton? Is there going to be a London City Grand Prix of some description have you got any inside skinny? Is it, are we going to see Formula One cars tearing it up around Westminster? They'd have to be ULES compliant. So, um... 
I'm not bringing politics into it. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I, that's a story that just hasn't gone away. And I'm sure Liberty w- would love to crack that uh, that nut, so to speak. They've really done wonders in the States. Will there ever be a Grand Prix in London? Yeah, it, it, it's something we'd all love to see, whether or not it's possible I, I just don't know and there would be a lot of red tape and a lot of barriers to, to mm. sort of hop hop through and the the sort of pathway from discussion to actually delivering would be would be a squirrel squirrel, squirrel. Yes. Oh, sorry squirrel <laughs> actually from here it looked like a little monkey it's, it's a bloody big squirrel there you go Sorry, sorry, Tom. I'm like, carry on. You know, I've got, can you know, can we have a? We should have a sound. We we need a sound effect for for squirrel. I don't know. I don't know what I've got here. Hold on. Is that clock? Is that clock? <laughs> is that clock? Is that clock? There's got to be something. Anyway, carry on. Yeah. We so I, I think we're a million miles off right now. Still, but uh... I mean that that track map that they put out. I like. Yeah. It's got a double Singapore sling. Like it's like left, right, left, right, left, right. I, I don't know. I, I mean, I'm from like the East End. Like my family's all from the East End, and it's, it'd be around Docklands where they're suggesting. And it's just like I don't know. I'm not. I, you, I don't. I don't think I want it. I'll be honest. I don't think I want it. I. I you see this exodus of F1 to move, moving towards street circuits, and I understand it. Mm. You know, you're putting it in front of more kind of eyeballs that are potentially not invested. You know, Silverstone's in the middle of nowhere. I get there's limitations around that, but I don't know. I, I don't think, for me, the focus should be on expanding the sport into territories that we, it isn't in. Like, I mean, you look at, you know, areas like the Indonesia, India, the Philippines, like there's such a, massive potential market in terms of just numbers of people who are invested and i I don't know you know there's still no grand prix in africa yet it sounds like kyle army it was maybe going to happen maybe it's not now i'm just not convinced that i i I didn't like what i saw i'll be honest you can't fall into the trap of it being an event which you know, not taking anything away from Miami, it's more of an event for me than it was a spectacle. I, I think if you're going to really engage the motorsport fan, it has to be a spectacle. Look at Nashville last year or the, the last two years in America with IndyCar, where they've got them racing over the bridge. And it, it's big, it's like six lane freeway where they're like coming through a pink trying to break that. You know, it's a huge spectacle. I mean, don't get me wrong, it was absolute chaos and there was probably about seven cars written off. It was the race where Ericsson went in the air and, and still oh, won yeah. it. But, um, but you need, for me, you need that spectacle. It, it can't just be a procession, an event. It has to, the, the, the track has to bring the cars to life. If it doesn't, then it's just a massive PR exercise. And, you know, I'm not, I'm, I'm one foot in, let's get some, great racing going you know and and that's where i just feel like i don't know where they would build a track that could actually work sustainably in london one of the busiest cities in the world like to to not just be that i feel like the the formula e track at the xl you know it hasn't gone 
I, I, I think it's definitely one of the weaker tracks on the, the calendar for me when you compare to mm. some of the other places. I mean, again, I, when I was in Marrakesh, I went past, I could see all the Formula E branding for the track there. Like, I, I don't know. I, I Like you say, yeah, I, I'm, I'm not convinced they could make it more than just a track that they've just shoehorned in. Yeah, the last track, the Cape Town track, I think they're doing 156 miles an hour. I was talking to one or two of the drivers, which, you know, they're, that's, uh, they're shifting. And that Durban track, was it Durban they were in? No, Cape Town, sorry. Um, Cape Town. That, that track was awesome. Um, and the Hyderabad circuit as well. The, 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 the circuit in India was, was cool. And, and, yeah, you've hit the nail on the head, Tom. I, I think... That the London event is a wonderful event, and so many people say that, but the track is a bit fiddly, which doesn't add to the spectacle. No, it, it would just be an, an exercise in like, oh, look at an F1 car going in front of that old building, you know, isn't that spectacular? And they're you know, dodging potholes. <laughs> there's yeah. one the arch, but, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Woo, look at that. Oh, and there's an F1 car. But um yeah, I don't know. Let, let's see. Well, what do you think about the the current era of Formula 1 then? Do you, are you a fan? Do you like the current cars as they're they're designed to be, you know, get traveling a little bit closer together and um all the all the new bits and pieces or lack of bits and pieces on the, on the car? Um do you like the racing? I think I like the the fact that the cars are fast and that they really challenge the drivers and they're really quick. I mean, the the amount of load they've got on them and the high-speed corners, phenomenal, maybe almost too much grip. For me, that's a step forward compared to where we are. I'm still in love with, two decades ago, the V10s, the smaller cars, and just the speed elements and the sort of they, they were like red arrows weren't they you know it, it, it just looked phenomenal when you watched it the sound that for me would be my dream and I don't want to be one of those people that's getting old that starts every sentence well in my day you know but it, it's uh it's definitely I think they're too big they're too heavy but I love the speed aspect of them and I think we kind of lost that for a little bit especially when we were taking away uh you know the, the the aero loading and also the um you know the the fact that the Pirelli tires needed to be sort of babysat all the way around the Grand Prix I mean we, we were just hopelessly slow at, at, you know some circuits they were sort of it was almost GP2 pole time wasn't it was was average race pace so see I, I think there is maybe a solution that because I saw um, Karun Chandok talking about this on Twitter and talking about how, you know, we saw it last year with Seb when he brought out his old Williams, his old Mansell Williams run on 100% bioethanol. You know, these F1 cars with the hybrid, uh, you know, bat- battery technology in these cars, it's adding a good amount of weight. I don't think these cars are going to get any smaller because I think safety and, and fair enough, you can get have a crash like Mick Schumacher had at Saudi Arabia last year and walk out of a car what Joe had last year. I think that's in part credit because just to how physically big these cars are. But if you can make them lighter and maybe F1, you know, should go down the fully like, right, we're not, we're going to ditch the battery, but then go down fully like sustainable fuel. You've got these mm-hmm. other motorsports, LMP, I think in Indy it's bioethanol already, right? So it's like, could F1 make its own sustainable route we're, we're on 100% renewable fuel this year in, in IndyCar already. And the tyres are made from Wyoli, which have we heard of Wyoli? 
I, I have not well, heard of Wyoli. There you go. Nope. You've not been watching Gardeners Weekly, which uh, <laughs> Wyoli is a plant-based shrub grown only in Arizona. So the wow. the alternate tyre on the street circuits is now the Wyoli tyre, which uh, which is derived from this plant-based material. So that's their push to sustainability. But yeah, going back to IndyCar is... 100% re- renewable fuel. And, and Karen made the, I think it was he, he that made the point that you've sort of got the, the hypercars doing that sort of hybrid stuff, the, the WEC cars in, so that kind of thing. And then you've got Formula E doing electric and, and Formula One can go and find its own USP, which could be sort of renewable fuels and, 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 and that kind of thing. So, yeah, it's yeah. a good discussion. It's, uh... It's interesting. I mean, I'm I'm sort of in. I've got one foot in both camps. I I love the modernization of Formula One and the the attempt to try and find you know greener ways of running. I'm 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 warming up to Formula E every time I every season or every car iteration. I warm to it a little bit more. But I do miss you know when you talk about the old days, the old days. Um, my first race was 2005 in Spa. And I feel sorry for people that never went to one of these races, you know, in, in that era or, or beyond before it all, all got quiet. But the noise of 20 odd cars on the starting grid in 2005 was absolutely incredible. And we'll never experience that again, unless you go to a historic or something like that. But it was so spine tingling and that has definitely gone. Like I go to a race now and I can be stood by the track having a relatively normal level conversation with someone without having to pull out earplugs you know back then you just forget it i mean you couldn't hear you could anything anywhere you could feel it yeah. in, in your it was a strange feeling and also the fuel made yeah. your eyes water so you'd be it was like yes, cutting up onions yeah. you'd be stood in a garage and, and you were sort of like Woo! Like yeah, yeah yeah i i had that I, I went when i first went to work out in the middle east i went to the drag strip at yas marina circuit and watched the top fuel dragsters nobody told me that they run off basically poison <laughs> And when when they disappear down the quarter mile and they spit out all these fumes, I was like, I'm blind. I, I'm in, I've been pepper sprayed, rape sprayed. Like, what the hell is this? It's, it's the most painful thing I've ever experienced in my eye. Um, but anyway, we uh, we digress again. Um, now, um, who would be Tom Gaymore if you could choose your ultimate lineup in Formula One? Two drivers, one team principal. You're the boss. You're the money man. Who do you bring in? Two drivers, one team boss. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, yeah. It's, uh... Any driver, any era. You don't have to go modern day. So I, I bring in the captain, Roger Penske. <laughs> nice. Um, just because I think, and you know, Zach Brown talks about this. He's a, he's a current team you know, boss and, and, you know, he, he looks up to, to, to Roger. So I'll bring in Roger Penske and I'd probably, I would go for Montoya because I, I feel that I, I loved his raw approach, his natural speed. He was difficult to manage. He was unpredictable. So, so, so I absolutely loved, um, you know, what he, he brings or, or brought to the table. And then it, it's got to be a young driver. So who, who do I think is is great at the moment? You know, I think I, I love Lando. I think Lando's doing uh, a fantastic job. I'd probably go for for Charles Leclerc because he he deserves a break. And obviously, with the captain in charge, with with me in the uh, 
in in the back of the garage and with Montoya there, that that's going to be a formidable lineup. It'd be just a break because Charles Leclerc was uh, it, or is looking for. <laughs> it's a good lineup, Tomo. What would you go for? Oh, um, I would go for. Uh, yeah, like, you know, Montoya was like one of my favorite drivers growing up. If if we can pick a driver, I think like 2003 to 2005, Kimi Raikkonen yeah. would just be like, that was Kimi just driving that McLaren on rails. And that was one of my earlier kind of F1 memories as well, him, in, him in that car. Oh, yeah. He was incredible. And like, I guess team principal, I think think and maybe i'm not overly convinced that he hasn't had anything to do with mclaren's current struggles but obviously andreas seidel i've got a lot of time for andreas yeah and he's kind of you know been moved to alfa romeo salva to set it up for audi i've got a lot of time for seidel i think he's a good level head at the top of that team i agree i think and then I think yeah, the the professor Alan Prost. Why not? Um, for <laughs> yeah, me, he's, he's chronically underrated as one of the greatest. I love, I love that sure. dynamic, Kimmy, and then uh, and then the professor. <laughs> That'd be an interesting debrief. It would. <laughs> it would. Who are you going? For, um, got to say you're- yeah, come on, Tim. Uh, I. I'd I'd go for pure entertainment value, so I, I'd go uh, I'd go Gunter Steiner, classic uh, marketing swear, man. Just, yeah, yeah, just to, just to swear at everybody. <laughs> then I'd I'd probably go only because I was reading about this guy the other day, and I don't know why, but it's come up in a con- couple of conversations I've had um, about how good he was and, and how sadly, outside of you know the hardcore fan, forgotten he was. Mike Hawthorne. Absolute legend, you know, died way too early. I think 28 years old, but was an absolute, you know, one of the original brilliant, brilliant drivers. And then I'd probably put someone completely batty with him as well, who you know, they could go and get drunk together. Like, a, I don't know who, who's, who's kind of wild and crazy. Uh, Kimmy, I'd probably go Kimmy as well, but Kimmy with Hawthorne and they just go and get leathered together and drink loads of vodka and Gunter would swear at them. I think that'd be a good combo. <laughs> <laughs> um, now, Tom, you, uh, you've had a very wide and varied career. There's a lot of people now with the rise of Formula One who are desperate to get into the sport. They they um, will will tread over each other to try and find a way to get into Formula One um, or motorsport more widely. What what advice can you give to people now that you've been in the industry for 20 years or plus? What what can people do to get their foot in the door? Because there are so many people trying. Yeah, I think it's uh, it's a question that I get asked a lot, and I know it's a, a question that that you get asked a lot. For me. It, it it boils down to that burning desire. You need to you need to be sure that it's for you. It's a very uh, it's a difficult industry. It requires it's almost a vocation. So you you never switch off. And whether or not you're working in the factory, you're working on the race team. The hours that you work are phenomenal and you you have the enforced summer break now to almost manage that you know it's it's very much a vocation so be sure that it's something that you want to do because there will be many highs and many lows and you've got to try and navigate through those a lot of the lows are at the beginning because the doors that you need to open are few and far between so therefore there's a lot of people pulling outside those doors and you need a bit of luck and it's a bit like the the uh you know the slogan in motorsport would you rather be good or would you rather be lucky and everyone says lucky and 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 I think that is is something that you've you've got to be patient around and 
as well as have that endeavor, that burning passion, have that patience as well, because you might not enter the sport where you think you're going to enter the sport. You might not end up doing what you think you're going to end up doing. And, uh, you know, I'm a case study for that. I entered the sport very late. I did something I didn't think I would end up doing. I'm now talking about it instead of doing it. it you know, it, it's a weird and wonderful world. There's so much opportunity out there. So go and explore the opportunity as well. So if you want to be a broadcaster, it, it's very hard sometimes and you you need the opportunities to open up. So you might have a, you might be a keep fit guru, go and Go and get your qualifications, enter the sport as uh, as somebody that can work with the drivers and work with the teams and get that nutrition and hydration. Then you network in the paddocks, you speak to different people, you might do a vlog, you might be in front of a camera, you might, you know, it, it, it's just the beginning for you. And it's a weird and wonderful way, the world, the way it pans out and the journeys that we end up. It's important to have an idea of the direction but don't fixate on the road because there's so many different lanes and uh, tributaries that you can push out and and explore so that would be my sort of airy fairy um advice if you like uh, you know but just keep keep banging that drum very wise very wise words now uh tomo we're gonna have to go straight into our final three because un- unbelievably we've We've whizzed through um, 46 minutes and 30 seconds. So um, uh, why don't you kick off with the first of the final three this week? Of course. So, Tom, what has got you most excited at the moment, just in life generally? Most excited? I, I, do you know what? I'm really excited about IndyCar. As I said, we're growing it. We started off with a tiny, tiny team. Neil Wooding, who's the associate produ- producer that... that is the the man behind the scenes that just makes everything work. He's got a magic wand at Sky Sports and he works across Formula One and IndyCar. So think how busy he is. But what we're doing with the support of Billy at the top is, is wonderful. We, we've had wonderful conversations with IndyCar. So I'm really excited to see where we can take that. We had our studio last year, which went down really, really well. We're going to try and build on that this year. And just keep bringing IndyCar to, to the audience and growing the UK audience here because it's, I always say, it, it's a bit like, you know, we go to church every Sunday night. It, it's the same people. We're growing. There's lots of enthusiasm. Everyone gets on. And um, and so that's what, what's making me excited at the moment. Very good. Um, number two, how much of your success do you put down to luck and right place, right time? And how much do you put down to downright hard work and graft? Yeah, well, they always say... Um, you, you know, talent. Um, you, you, you know, talent isn't everything. So you've got to, you've got to have that endeavor and 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 that sort of passion and burning desire that that I had when I was driving has served me really well with a lot of other things that I do in life. Sometimes it's actually your greatest Achilles heel as well when you look at a balance, when you look at well being, when you look at. Um, reflection so I think for, for me you definitely need luck without luck you you really are um, up a paddle up a stream without a paddle but you need that work base you know you make your own luck absolutely couldn't, couldn't agree more um, and finally Tom what are you scared of 
Yeah, good. I'm scared of heights. Don't like flying either. Um, I wouldn't get out of an aeroplane if it was working, so I wouldn't go. Uh, it's not the idea really is it to get out of the airplane while it's flying to be fair (laughs) so i'll probably say yeah one of those okay very good well listen tom it's great to be um connected again um i look forward to seeing you in in 3d and going for a beer and catching up properly um but thank you so much for joining us best of luck with your future endeavors best of luck with the indycar stuff and and preaching the indycar uh, dream over here it's a brilliant series and and hopefully the, the audience does continue to grow um, until next time thanks for joining us on the motormouth podcast thank you thank you so much for listening to the motormouth podcast do make sure you give us a follow on our socials twitter at motormouth underscore instagram at motormouth underscore official and facebook just search motormouth you can also download the motormouth app where you can get exclusive video content from mmtv create your own social profile to interact with other fans and check up on all the latest happenings with whatever motorsport takes your fancy we're also proud to be supporting the brain tumor charity too so make sure you check the links in the podcast description to find out how you can help cure brain tumors quicker don't forget to like subscribe and review and until next time you've been listening to the motormouth podcast Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.